Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Meister. All right. This is my favorite week of the year by far, NBA trade deadline on Thursday. But we'll see if it's an eventful one or if there's some smaller deals like we've been seeing lately. Talk a little bit more about that. And then injuries have been plaguing the league, especially the stars. So like to cover that. Talk a little bit about the free agents that will probably be signed post-trade deadline, depending on the injuries and the fits for teams. Talk about the Rockets, a former Rockets star, and then everyone's favorite segment, what's the verdict? Ready to go? Let's do this. All right. NBA trade deadline. Talk about some deals that have happened and the fit of each of them. First one, Trevor Ariza going to Miami, playing his first game since the coronavirus outbreak. What do you think the fit is of Ariza, and what do you think of the trade overall? I think that this is a perfect fit for the Miami Heat two or three years ago. The thing is, I just don't know what he's got right now. He's 35 years old after all. Um, he's come back, and at this point, he does seem like he has to get acclimated. He's only made 25% of his shots, albeit a small sample size, but he, uh, he has not really looked sharp since he's been back. So the Heat hope that they can get something out of him. At the end of the day, they only had to give up a second-round pick for him. So if he doesn't end up panning out, it's not like they really gave up much. The Heat seemingly get uh, second-round production out of undrafted guys on a regular basis. So a second-round pick doesn't mean much to them. So I hope that he comes around for them, similar to how Iggy kind of did. And I think that from a mindset standpoint, a personality fit, it's perfect. He just needs to get acclimated again. He hasn't played in a year. So we'll see if he can be like the Trevor Ariza that we last saw playing for the Blazers. If he can be 90% of what that guy was, then he's going to be a massive help to this team and give them an element that they have been missing since Jake Prouder left. Yeah, I agree. I think he, like you said, would be a good fit three or four years ago. And I think he'd be that for any team. But given that we, the, the Heat just had to give up Myers Leonard and a second round pick. Myers Leonard was likely going to be terminated after the season anyways. And the second round pick, the Heat are notorious for getting undrafted players and turning them into studs. So not really uh, too much to worry about from the Heat's perspective on giving up that second round pick. Moving on to another team in the East, PJ Tucker goes to the Milwaukee Bucks. I thought for this one, it was pretty even for both sides. The Rockets got younger. They got an additional first rounder. So they got Milwaukee's 2021 and 2023 first rounders in exchange for Milwaukee getting their 2022 back uh, from the Rockets. So the Bucks though, get a great defender who is 35 and will re- likely re-sign for cheap next year if he if they go far into the playoffs. So I think it's a good pairing for the Bucks. I think the Houston Rockets, we'll talk a lot about a little later, need to continue their fire sale. Yeah, the thing with this deal... I actually think that Milwaukee Bucks kind of got taken advantage of. I don't think PJ Tucker's worth that. This guy's 35 years old. He's averaging literally 4.3 points per game, 4.6 rebounds. He's not in the top 100 in points, rebounds, assists, player efficiency rating. I don't know a single thing that he's doing at an above average level this year. And you can say, oh, the intangibles, well, I mean, intangibles can only get you so much. He's 35 years old. He's also not knocking down his shots at the same clip. His three-point shooting has regressed, as has his shooting from everywhere. And I think that this is more just what is typical 
of a player like PJ Tucker, who is already extremely undersized at six foot five and is 35 years old now, having to compete and guard big guys who are probably much more athletic than he is at this point. So I really don't know that he's even going to make the rotation for them in the playoffs, at least not the way he's looked this year. He has to turn back the clock and look like he did when James Harden was with the Rockets for this deal to make any sort of sense. Otherwise, the Milwaukee Bucks GM just gave up another asset of the future for a short rental that's not going to really make a difference on the season. Yeah, but you have to imagine from the Milwaukee side that all of their picks are likely going to be uh, in the top or not going to be in the top 20. So for them, maybe they could get somebody that's decent from the scouting, but realistically they're, they're in it for the win now mode. So I understand why they did it from that perspective. I can see they have to, they have to make Giannis happy. They have to appease him. They have to at least try. So I see that's what they're doing. They're trying. I just don't think that it's um, the smartest move. And fun fact about Trevor Ariza, he's actually the most traded player in NBA history. Been traded 11 times. It's ridiculous. Um, well, Trevor hopefully has a nice little home from his hometown because he was born in Miami, Florida. So he'll uh, be able to hang out in his hometown, even though he then grew up in California. So Tory Craig, the next one to the Suns. Um, do we need to talk about this one? Tory's like a bona fide role player. He's averaging two and a half points on 11 minutes a season. He's they they gave cash considerations. Like they said, hey, <laughs> we'll take this guy off your hands. I don't think he's going to play much, anyways. Yeah, I think that this is mainly just an insurance policy. Tory Craig's not a bad player. I'm not going to say that he's like trash. He's like a solid guy, six foot seven, 225 pounds. He's not super old, like at 30, still very athletic. He's been healthy. Um, and he's been known to like be a plus defender for the majority of his career. He's been known to be a solid catch and shoot guy from three, which every team can use. I think that at this point, he just kind of like fell out of the rotation. He's not really getting many minutes. And I don't really think that that's going to change in the, on the Suns either. But I think that he's a guy that if you have a guy go down and you have an insurance policy that's Tory Craig filling for that guy, you got to be happy with that situation. Because the drop-off isn't going to be like down to like a G-leaguer or some scrub. Like, Tory Craig is serviceable, at least. So, um, it's a nice little insurance policy for just cash. Yeah. Well, we'll see what other deals will happen. But let's talk a little bit about players that we think uh, will be moved. And starting with, hot off the press, Aaron Gordon asks the Orlando Magic for a trade. What do you think about him asking for the trade? And where do you think he's going to go? This has been a long time coming. Aaron Gordon and the Magic have been shopping. Well, the Magic have been shopping him seemingly for the last four years. Um, thing is, it's really hard to get good value back for him because think about it, as an agent, how do you sell a guy that has regressed for the last four years consecutively? It's incredible. Like the guy should be much better than what he is. You look at him on paper, he's six foot eight, 235 pounds, very athletic. He's 25 years old still. He's like very young. Somebody's going to get this guy off the cheap, but hopefully it's going to be a winning team and a winning situation where they can fix whatever is going on in this guy's head because it seems like he's got the physical tools, but he just doesn't have it mentally with his basketball IQ. His shot selection is terrible. 
Um, his confidence is inconsistent. He just doesn't um, make smart reads or plays, but he has all the raw tools. So I think that the Magic probably get a first rounder out of this guy. Teams that might pick this guy up, it's going to be one of the teams that strikes out on Andre Drummond most likely because he's probably going to be realistically the next most sought after big guy after Andre Drummond, given the fact that he's only 25 years old and has upside considerably. So I could see him potentially going to one of the LA teams, especially the Lakers, given the real lack of depth they have right now, which we'll get into later. But um, I could also see the Celtics making a play for him. The Celtics have been struggling and underachieving this season. They could use an element. Aaron Gordon needs to realize he's not a star player, probably not going to ever be one. But if he commits to being a role player and fitting into a, a role that Brad Stevens develops for him, I think it could be a very good complimentary piece for the Celtics and give them a dimension that they need. They, they really need some athleticism inside and someone that can be an inside out threat while still providing rebounding and defense on the interior. So theoretically he should be able to do those things if someone could fix him. Yeah. I think he needs to be moved for both parties sake. I think for the magic, he's not doing anything and they've been slumping. So I it's it, you just need to sell at least while he has some sort of value. Now, I think, their problem has been that they've continued to look for value that isn't there. And like with the, the current way the trade market is and kind of what you touched on with the PJ Tucker thing right now, it seems like there's an inflated trade value for everybody because you have people like Drew Holiday going for three first round picks and swaps. And it's like the trade market right now is extremely, extremely inflated. Um, and so for Aaron Gordon, I'm sure they're asking for an unprotected first plus a young player plus salary relief, something ridiculous. They're going to have to come down overall. And now that his demand is public, I think it pushes them that much more to trade him. He's someone to me, like you said, he's already peaked in 2017, 2018. So the team that he needs to go to, his three point percentage did increase this year over last year. So he's now shooting 40% over 30%, which is pretty good. 40% on 14.7 points uh, per game. So a team that is making a playoff push that needs a stretch big like this, like the Warriors, the Lakers, honestly, even the Heat. Um, but I could see him. There's been rumors that the Rockets have been going after him. I could see him getting stuck on a Rockets team that's building for the future, considering Aaron's only 25. So if the Rockets think, hey, we'll have Christian Wood and Aaron Gordon playing the four and the five, both stretch bigs who can defend as well, um, we'll we're just going to continue to lose games and and so be it, then I could see him also getting stuck on a team like that. That would be terrible for his career because if he goes to the Rockets to a losing team, he's going to think in his mind that he's going to be the man of that team and that he's going to be the star and that he's going to be the one that's going to take the load. And that's not him. He's he's more of like a third fiddle type guy if he wants to be on a winning team that potentially could contend. I don't think that he's the kind of guy that you can give number one player usage to. And he's going to think that he demands that on the Rockets. He's not going to learn to to fit into a role and play within a team scheme if he goes to a situation like that for his own benefit. If he wants to start winning and take the next step as a player, he needs to go somewhere with structure and not somewhere that's trying to figure it out. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, in terms of the other players who I think will be moved, you talked a little bit about this last episode. Kyle Lowry, I think he's either going to the Heat or the 76ers. It just seems inevitable that he's going to be shipped somewhere. Um, it, it seems like he loves Toronto. Toronto loves him. They'll reunite for a day contract to retire. But I think he's going to end up on one of those Eastern Conference teams. Yeah, I think at this point, the Heat are probably having to be considered the number one contender just because Kyle Lowry himself specified. Well, I don't or- know if that means anything because the Heat have been the number one contender for pretty much anyone that's on a trade <laughs> rumor. That's true, but this is probably look, I'm, I've heard all the rumors and I know that probably 90% of them are BS. And they're just connecting them with anybody. But this is one of the only ones that actually is somewhat realistic and could make some sense. It's probably one of the only ones. Kyle Lowry specified that Miami would be his preference if he had to go somewhere else. He's got a very close relationship with Jimmy Butler already. He's friends with Bam. He has the typical Heat culture mentality. He's been linked to the Heat before. He almost signed there as a free agent once. But he ended up going to Toronto because they gave him a much bigger contract. And the Heat, honestly, they really could use it. Because at this point, early in the year, it looked like they really had problems with um, needing a big man on the interior. But we're starting to see at this point, too, that they need some extra help for Jimmy Butler and Bam from some perimeter players that can consistently produce. Because at this point... If you look at the Heat's three-point shooting, they've gone ice cold. Nobody can knock down anything. Duncan Robinson, renowned three-point shooter, can't hit the side of the barn right now, even when he's wide open. I have no idea what is going on. You can see the visible frustration on his face when he misses. He doesn't even know what's going on. Tyler Hero looks like he literally has never played basketball. Like He is getting swatted on like three consecutive layups on a row missing wide open threes, air balling threes that are open, consistently getting stripped. They need a guy on the perimeter that can dribble because clearly they don't have another ball handler that they can consistently count on besides Bam and Butler because Dragic is always in and out. And who knows if he's going to be consistent this year. This may be an all-year thing. They need somebody that can, that can score consistently from the outside, knock that down, and defend on the perimeter and take the load off of Jimmy and Bam because we're seeing that every every fight is a dogfight for them right now because they're not getting consistent production from their perimeter players. So I think they'd even be willing to give up um, Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson for him at this point. I, I think they'd do it if it was like straight up. But the thing is, the Raptors obviously wouldn't want that. I think what it's coming down to is the Raptors probably want a little bit more than Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, and it's probably more than the Heat are willing to give at this point. So we'll have to see how this pans out. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the Raptors need to think about this from a prudent long-term perspective. If the Heat are willing to give up one young player plus an expiring contract, you at least get that one young player, maybe plus a protected first-round pick later on. Who knows? But for them, it's a Kyle Lowry who's on an expiring deal, and they're not going to get anything better than that. So I, I think that they need to at least consider it. But I mean, realistically, at this point, he is the most impact player they can acquire right now. That's realistically available. Yeah, that's fair. Well, are there any other players you think that should be moved? 
Yeah, there definitely are other players that should be moved. Jeremy Grant shouldn't be rotting on the Pistons right now. He belongs on a contending team somewhere, contributing to that team because pretty much every team in the league could use a guy like him. So his talents belong in the playoffs. He's been playing at a great level this year, and unfortunately no one's really talking about it or seeing it because he's just rotting away on the Pistons. So he he should be moved somewhere else. Carl Anthony Towns is looking like they're probably not going to move him at this point now that him and Anthony Edwards are developing some chemistry. So probably that rumor is going to be squashed. But I would say another player that should be moved would probably be Bradley Beal. I mean, we've said this before, but come on, Wizards. Come on, what are you doing? You already know that there's no way this season. I mean, you had your little run where you made it somewhat competitive, but you're not going to make the playoffs. You're probably not going to make it next year either. Like Russell Westbrook's going to be that much older. Your team isn't going to take that leap magically. Just rebuild. Don't be stubborn. Let Bradley Beal do something amazing in the playoffs. Don't ruin his prime. Let him be free. Yeah, I don't I don't know if, if any of those are going to be moved. I think, though, for mine, anyone on the Rockets should be moved. Oladipo should be removed for a late first that conveys into two seconds plus a lottery I'm pick. I'm sure he will be. Uh, He's definitely going. Ben McElmore for a second-round pick. John Wall plus a first for a higher first and a pick swap maybe. And then take on dead money for more picks and potentially packaged young talent. Like it, they need to blow it up. They need to go into full rebuild because it's pathetic what they're doing right now. And Silas is so dejected as the coach on that team. Um, Lonzo yeah, Ball. just depressing. Yeah. Lonzo Ball. I don't think the Pelicans are going to re-sign him because he's going to get max money probably from a team that's trying to steal him from the Pelicans. And they may as well sell on him now to one of the rumored teams like the Bulls, Hawks, Hornets, Kelly Oubre. I also don't think the Warriors are going to re-sign him. And if they can get an Aaron Gordon, Alonzo, or somebody else for Oubre, then I think that they should pull the trigger just to experiment with that person for the remainder of this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, I just don't think that trading... Ubre for a guy like Aaron Gordon would really be much of an upgrade and the Warriors still have motivation and aspirations of competing in the playoffs this year. So I think that's kind of a lateral move for them. But I agree. Some of those other moves definitely need to happen. Yeah. Well, moving on, injuries have been absolutely killing the league now with LeBron out indefinitely with a high ankle sprain. He'll be out for three to four weeks. What's the impact of LeBron and Anthony Davis being out for Los Angeles? We actually mentioned this just the last podcast that the Lakers, even though they were sitting in third, actually were in a risky spot. Given the fact that Anthony Davis, his injury was a lot more serious than it seemed at first. You have basically LeBron having to play higher than normal minutes every night, picking up the offensive load because he's really the only guy on that team that can consistently get his own shot on every possession besides Anthony Davis. And with him gone, you lose your defensive anchor and you lose your second offensive cog. So LeBron trying to overcompensate, having a deep playoff run last year, short offseason, and he's 36. I mean, it seems 
I mean, I know he seems superhuman, but all those factors are working against him and are pointing to potentially him having an injury just like this one. And I didn't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I thought this might happen to him. And I predicted that the Lakers season could take a turn. And I expected the Clippers and maybe other couple teams to pass them in the process because without LeBron and AD, I don't really know what they have. I don't even think they'd make the playoffs without those two guys. So that's where they're at. They're going to probably play losing ball until one of them come back. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they were able to stay above 500 during the stretch of games because of these games, more than half of them I don't think are winnable without those two guys on the lineup. It'll also be interesting to see what Rob Palinka does with the trade deadline because I think this changes what they're going to do uh, to hopefully get additional firepower for the team. But I think Los Angeles is in a very precarious spot and they're lucky that they're 13 games over 500 right now because if not, then they might slip out of the playoff standings. But I think they'll stay in there in a mid-seed. Going to the other biggest star in the league, KD, is still out after, I think initially they said he was going to be out for a few games with uh, his hamstring injury or his calf injury. Um, I I don't know what's going on. Like, Do you think the Nets are being cautious or does him being in not even matter with James Harden, just James Harden going off? Yeah, I mean, obviously the injury was a little bit more serious than they thought. I'm sure that having this large of a difference in his timetable was not something that they were counting on. But at the same time, they've been rolling. And they've been blowing out the competition, and they seemingly haven't really missed him. Kyrie Irving and James Harden have developed a great chemistry. James Harden is playing MVP caliber ball right now and making a case to win another MVP. Um, I really think that at this point, they have the luxury of just slow-stepping this. They probably are being extra cautious at this point because they really don't have to rush it. And they saw what happened with... Durant in the playoffs when they try to get him to come back too soon. They know they're going to play him heavy minutes in the playoffs probably. They don't want to have to rush him back too soon, put extra mileage on him now, especially not on an Achilles injury for a big man like Durant. So um, I think they're just being extra cautious. Here's my pitch. Sean Marks, Steve Nash, hear me out. Kyrie is out for three games now, tending to a family matter. James Harden left a bum Rockets team to go to a Nets team that's not that deep and cannot stay on the court. And the Nets are still winning. Rest Kyrie and KD until the playoffs, get James' MVP, and then win a championship of all three. Just just saying. Just, just saying. Yeah, James Harden honestly is proving a lot of people wrong about his value. Um, a lot of people gave him a lot of flack for the way that he was playing at the beginning of the year, but it seems when he's motivated it's hard to argue that he's not a top three player in the league. The clubs are better in Brooklyn, baby. All right. Blake Griffin finally coming in for the Nets after his injury. What do you think his impact is going to be? Um, I, for this one though, he made his impact known on play number one because he ducked the ball for the first time since 2019. Yeah, that was honestly really unexpected. I, saw that dunk and my first thought was, oh my God, his knees are okay. He just glided into the rim. He could still do that. Yeah. It actually looked athletic. It didn't even it wasn't even a rim graze dunk. It was like a legitimate dunk. 
which was pretty cool to see from Blake Griffin. At least we know that he's still got the ability to put a couple of highlights up there. What matters about Blake Griffin most and what has always defined his career is can he stay on the court? We know that he is a productive player when he's healthy, but the thing is he's just healthy so rarely. And at this point, at 32, he's looking like he's closer to 40 than 30. And he just really, his game hasn't really aged well. And I think that maybe he, he kind of caught the defender off guard because he probably figured there was no way Blake Griffin was going to do that. I think that if Blake Griffin starts playing even moderately better, defenses will switch up in game plan for him. But um, if he can stay healthy, I think he's a solid rotational piece. I just don't expect him to put like close to all-star caliber production or anything like that. I expect him to come off the bench, play his role, um, and do something a little bit a la DeAndre Jordan and that sense of a role? Yeah, I think for Blake, I wonder if he was misused in Detroit or if he felt dejected from being on subpar teams the entire time after being in LA, goes to Detroit and not really on great teams, especially with the logjam that was him and Andre Drummond. And Blake's best years came from when he had an all-star distributor. And now he has one again with Harden. So when he was with Chris Paul, much better player. Same with DeAndre Jordan. And now he's with Harden, who's a great distributor, has great court vision. So they didn't really have anyone like that on the Detroit Pistons. They were rolling with Reggie Jackson for a long time. and He's not necessarily the best distributor. So it'll be interesting to see if he could reclaim at least some of what used to make him great or maybe get back to almost all-star level. I don't think he'll get quite to where he was at his peak, but we'll see if he can reclaim uh, some to most of it. Yep. Let's see if he can stay healthy. I, I hope that he can, because he's always an exciting and fun player to watch. Another exciting and fun player to watch that unfortunately is going to be out for the year. LaMelo ball is now out indefinitely with a fractured wrist and is projected to probably miss the majority of the year. D'Angelo Russell immediately tweets upon finding this out that Anthony Edwards is now the favorite for rookie of the year. Pretty savage tweet to do that right after the guy gets hurt, but he's probably right. LaMelo ball out for the year. What do you think of the impact this has on the league? And what do you think that this does to his development? Uh, from the league perspective, it gives everyone one fewer ball brother to talk about. So hopefully Leandro gets his shot. Um, from the impact on his career, I think a wrist is probably better than a knee or an ankle. So I think he's going to be just fine. It sucks that he's going to be out for the rest of the year, especially on an exciting Hornets team that's been doing very well this year. But I think he'll he'll be able to recoup and come back stronger next year. What's interesting is if they trade for Lonzo, hear me out. I think they should trade Malik Monk plus somebody else to the Pelicans, get Lonzo there. Lonzo can immediately take the number two jersey because it has the last name on it already. And then LaMelo can come back next year with number one. Just You want just them to fulfill LaVar's prophecy and put two balls in the same hive. Makes sense. And then, and then I want to see LaVar, if 
the Hornets ever win a championship with both Ball brothers, I think Michael Jordan and LeVar Ball owe the world a one-on-one matchup. They have to. (laughs) They have to do it. That would definitely, if they put that on pay-per-view, they'd both make a couple million. Bigger than the Floyd Connor fight. Um, in For terms sure, of rookie of the year, in terms of rookie of the year, I think Anthony Edwards has the slight edge. I don't think it's a runaway because I think it's between him and Tyrese Halliburton. Edwards has the lead right now in points per game and rebounds, but Halliburton has the edge in player efficiency rating, assists, steals, and three point percentage. So Halliburton is quietly or not so quietly, depending on where you're at, having a great season as a rookie. So I think that. He is. Uh, he has the potential to be rookie of the year because the Timberwolves are god awful. I mean, the Kings aren't great either, and I agree with you. Tyrese Halliburton is a really nice player, but the issue is we're looking at these stats based on Anthony Edwards' early season production, which really are hampering his numbers because he was terrible at the beginning of the year. But if we look at what he's been doing lately, if he continues to play at this pace. Over his last 10, he's averaging 25 points per game, 6.2 rebounds. He's up to three-point percentage to 33%, which is at least serviceable. His free throw percentage, 75%. At least he's not a liability from there anymore. And he's giving you 1.7 steals a game, so at least he's trying on defense now. So if we look at that point differential, if he can average 25 points or around there the rest of the, the, rest of the way through till the end of the season, I don't think that there's really a way that he doesn't get it. Fair points. All right. Well, injuries have riddled the league. Trade deadline is about to be over come Thursday. And afterwards, we're going to see if some free agents will be signed. So of these three players, do you think any or all of them will be signed? And if so, where do you see them going? Boogie, Isaiah Thomas, Jamal Crawford. I think Boogie gets signed. He probably gets an offer from a team like Miami or LA, I would imagine it's going to be one of those two teams, or it could be the Celtics. If they strike out on Andre Drummond, he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be a consolation prize for a team that strikes out on Andre Drummond or a player of that caliber at that position. Isaiah Thomas, I don't think he gets another chance. I think that he scared a lot of people off with his hip injury. He's severely undersized. He's never been a good defender. He's always been a liability on defense, and he relied a lot on his athleticism and his speed to be able to score, get into the paint, and create space to complement his outside shooting. I think teams are concerned that at this point, he, based on the hip injury that he had, probably isn't going to ever regain that same burst, athleticism, agility. Um, And I think someone takes a flyer on Jamal Crawford. He proves that as old as he wants to be, he always comes back and hits timely shots. And he just, he's just vintage. He doesn't look anywhere near his age. He just comes out there and he's cold-blooded. So I think that um, based on the way that he's played throughout his career, someone takes a flyer on him. And maybe someone, maybe even the Clippers, run it back one more time with Jamal Crawford. Yeah, I could see the Clippers. I could see the 76ers. And I could see... Um, the Nets taking a flyer on Jamal Crawford. I think for Isaiah Thomas, I could see the Lakers uh, potentially bringing him on as well as another team that might need a little bit of scoring help. And then for Boogie, I agree with the teams that you mentioned. But we'll see if, if they get signed. 
We've talked enough about the Rockets and just how atrocious they have been with their 20-game losing skid, so I don't want to give them any more of a platform right now. But moving on to somebody who moved on from the Rockets, Chris Paul made history again, becomes one of only six players to reach 10,000 assists. Talk about the feet. Yeah, it's, <laughs> this guy seemingly is making a headline for historic feet every couple weeks, but that's just the kind of career he's had. He's obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer. At this point, the only guys in front of him are Magic Johnson, Mark Jackson, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, and John Stockton. And I think that it's going to be like a okay class to be in. <laughs> I know, right? But um, I think that he 100% passes all those guys except for Jason Kidd and John Stockton. I think that he'll have an opportunity to pass Jason Kidd if he plays long enough. I don't think anyone's catching John Stockton, but he should finish at least third best all-time on total assists, in my opinion. I completely agree with you. Um, if you look at just his trajectory for the rest of the season, he should be smack in the middle, maybe a little bit more towards getting to that three spot. Um, the only thing that separates uh, Jackson and Nash is one assist. They're at 10,335 and 10,334 respectively. So I think Chris Paul finished the season around 10 to 80. So I think to start next season, he'll definitely pass them and achieve that feat. And I think we talked about um, in one of the earlier episodes around seven or eight that LeBron is probably the only threat to pass him after Chris Paul retires because I think LeBron will outlast Chris Paul in the league. So I think LeBron will end up in either the number two spot if he plays much longer or at least supplanting his banana boat buddy for the number three spot. Yeah, definitely some great company to be in. But moving on to our favorite segment, Guilty or Innocent, I'm going to ask you some scenarios around the league. You tell me if they're guilty or innocent. Ready? Let's do it. The Atlanta Hawks have won eight straight after firing Lloyd Pierce and are now fourth in the East. The roster's the same, and this team went from being lottery-bound to probably making the playoffs. Is Lloyd Pierce guilty of being the problem in Atlanta? If you go back and listen to episode two of this podcast, I said at the end of the podcast, if Lloyd Pierce underperforms, he's out in Atlanta. Lloyd Pierce underperformed, and he's out. If you go back to around episode 12, I said that Lloyd Pierce was misusing John Collins. And over the last four games, Collins has averaged 22 points, 10 and a half rebounds, and three blocks per game. And double-double with amazing block stats. Clearly, Lloyd Pierce was the problem. So absolutely, he was guilty. If I'm the Miami Heat, I'd trade either Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson for John Collins if they're willing to listen. If that is still a rocky situation, that's the, the thing. At this the time, point, the they, trade they was it. when Lloyd Pierce was yeah. like, as they soon as he was it. fired, that was the time. It's so trade. unfortunate. They really, they really did blow it on that one because, I mean, I was saying it at that time, John Collins, no one really says it, but this guy is an all-star caliber talent and he can still get a lot better. He jumps and out the gym. The fact that, I mean, this so guy, and, and, and he's a great shooter from outside. He's an athletic freak, great defender, fits the role of the perfect prototypical NBA big man. At this point in the NBA, you can slide him into any team, and he's going to fit. He fits on any team, on any roster. He's going to make an impact. So, I mean, 
I don't know how GMs didn't pull the trigger on this guy, knowing that he was available. He's definitely worth a first-round pick, maybe even two first-round picks, and an expiring contract. I mean, how do you not do that for him? Team's messed up. But moving on, Blake Griffin has now officially made a dunk after not having done so since December 12, 2019. After showing seemingly he has some bounce left, is he guilty of having quit on the Pistons and not giving his best effort? I think he's guilty for not giving his best effort. I think he's innocent for being on a terrible team that didn't play to his strengths. So like we talked about earlier, I think having that distributor who is going to get him the ball in the right space and allow him to just from the follow through, get through the lane and have a dunk or get through the lane and have a layup or have a wide open shot that he can get from the perimeter or even from inside the perimeter. I don't think they had that on the Pistons. And you, then you were relying on Blake Griffin to make his own shot to dribble and drive. And like, he could kind of do that, but that's just not his strength. And so I think now that he's on the nets, we should see an improved form of Blake Griffin. I agree. Hopefully he can stay healthy. So Tyler Hero is in the midst of a sophomore slump. Over his last 10, he's averaging 12 points per game and shooting 33% from the field and 24.5% from three, ice cold, in the bad way. All significantly worse than last year, despite increased playing time and usage rate. Regardless, Hero continues to roll out the endorsements with his Heroes cereal and new Chipotle endorsement deal. This is all based off of last season's success. Is he guilty of letting rising to fame so quickly get to his head and distract him from his focus on the game of basketball? Is he just too caught up with non-basketball endeavors? Is that the reason for his slump? So the persona of Hero is what gets him the endorsements. His agent is the one who is going to be actually signing those deals and getting them for him. So in addition to that, I think he's innocent because if he wasn't paying attention, there's a guy on that team named Jimmy Butler who would not put up with that and would make him be in the gym with him and probably take his Heroes cereal and make them Butleros until he started playing better. So I think not only would Jimmy be on him, but I think the Heat would be on him. And Pat Riley has almost publicly, for Pat Riley's uh, type of publicly, come out and said, we're not willing to give him up. So I think sometimes these guys go through these slumps and we'll see what happens when the lights are on and brightest in the playoffs. But I think he's innocent. Yeah, I agree. At this point, you got to give him a break still. He has at least done it on the brightest stage before and he's performed then. I think that right now, I'm not going to say that it's an indictment on him and his endorsements and what he's doing outside of that or um, if he's distracted from some outside measure. But clearly it seems like his mind isn't right. He's making a lot of careless mistakes. His shot selection has been really disappointing as of late. How do you get blocked by the same shot blocker three possessions in a row? How do you not adapt the same play three times? It seems like he's just trying to force it because he feels like he has to produce, but he sometimes, it seems like he's just taking shots not in the right flow of the offense or he tries to force a bad pass. At the end of the day, he needs to go back to basics put the extra time in the gym, regain confidence in the shot, because if he's not making it from outside, I mean, that's his whole game. That sets up everything else. 
If he can't knock down his shots from outside, he's not going to get inside either. He's 6'5", and he's not a terrible athlete, but he's definitely not an elite athlete. He needs to be able to capitalize on his greatest strength because if he's not being an elite shooter, then he's not really an elite anything else. So he's going to have to either find ways to develop other aspects of his game so that he can make a contribution besides shooting when his shot isn't falling, or he's going to have to put in the extra time in the gym to figure out what's going on with his shooting stroke. I think for him, Bam, and Duncan, who I feel have all taken steps back this season, the thing that I saw on tape last season versus this season was when they were playing last year with that underdog mentality, they went in with this sort of like unbridled confidence that they were the man and they were going to like play their role, make those shots and like get the heat to the finals. And now coming and being the finals champions, I feel like they all took a step back because they're like, well, people have expectations of us. So like we don't have to play with that same chip, which is, the complete opposite of how they should be acting and what they should be doing. That's at least from a like non stat on paper piece that I've seen what I feel the difference is between last year and this year for all three of them. Yeah, I can see that they were uh, recently on a winning streak, pretty good one before they started going on a small losing streak again, but uh, hopefully they can find some consistency and return to that. Yeah, that, was that they showed in the bubble. That was yeah, on Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy's been that's playing true. out of his mind. Yeah, it's true. But um, yeah, that's that's what we've got tonight for Court of Opinion. That's what we've got for today. Court is adjourned. Like us, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stern.